this morning, we are very blessed to have Pastor Mike in the house with us to bring us a very practical word on extending God's kingdom in some beautiful ways through us. So come on, bring it, bro. Hey, it's wonderful to be here and so appreciative. And I had the privilege Friday morning, as I do about once a month, to have coffee with Pastor Gary. And he, of course, we were talking about today's message, and he, he gave me an illustration, a prop, if you will, all right? Now, at 68, or soon to be 68, it takes me longer to get dressed in the morning. It's just one of those things that are connected with some of the health issues I have. But Gary brought me this T-shirt, and this T-shirt, his daughter actually made for him, and she made the insignia and just imprinted it on this T-shirt, and you'll notice it says what? Fishers of men. All right. Now, this is where you all get to show your age. How many of you remember going to Sunday school when you were younger and you sang the song, follow after me, please? I do not want to be the only person singing, right? I will make you fishers of men, fishers of... Oh, good. Keep it... I will make you fishers of men if you follow me. Great. All right, that's the sermon for today. God bless you. Have a great <laughs> The story of Jesus asking for four men to follow him is one that's seen in each of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke. You started reading through Mark this week. You got it in chapter 1. Pastor Tim and I were together recently, and I handed him an outline, which became the slides for today. And I had, I had said to him, even though we're in Mark 1 now in our reading, and actually tomorrow we'll be bent in Mark 5, but I wanted to feel the freedom to take you to one of the passages in Scripture, which we'll get to eventually, that has a more amplified view of that story, all right? So do we have the slide up here for the Scripture reading? Wonderful, all right. Follow along with me, if you would, please. One day as Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew throwing a net into the water, for they fished for a living. Jesus called out to them, come follow me, and I will show you how to fish for people. And they left their nets at once and followed him. Now the story is that Jesus was actually teaching, and a great crowd of people First year of Jesus' public ministry is typically called by people who are theologians the year of popularity. It just seemed that everywhere Jesus went, he attracted a crowd. Not simply because of the healing that he accomplished. Not simply because of the deliverance that he brought to those who were possessed or those who had some point of afflictions. Not simply because of anything that would be, if you will, the miraculous that came from him. But would you not give almost anything you have just to sit with Jesus and let him teach for a half hour? 
Now, these two down here to my left are good. They're really good, right? I like listening to them when they bring the word. But can you imagine sitting with Jesus and having Jesus just open up the scriptures? So he's teaching, and all of a sudden, the story goes in Luke's gospel that the people have become so crowded around him so that others could hear and his, his very presence would not be obscured. He says to Simon Peter, may I borrow your boat and put me out, if you will, a little bit from the shore so that others will be able to see and hear better. Now, there's a couple of practical things I want you to see there. Jesus is always wanting to be in a place where the word of God is clear. Because the word of God is that which saves us, amen? The second thing, though, is it gave Peter, early in his life, it gave him an opportunity to serve. And, and we, were, we were talking the other day, Leonard and Rich and, and Danny and, and many of us who are in that Thursday group together, about one of the guys in our Thursday group has just gone through a heart procedure. And Leonard had the great idea that while he was recuperating at home, that we would put together some meals, right? And so Leonard began to make that happen, and Danny and Rich and so forth. And so people began to sign up for these meals and so forth. But I said to him, I said, you know, I've been a pastor for many, 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 many years. And I always think it's important to bring the pastor of the church into what we're doing. And as I knew pa pastor would be, when Leonard called him, he was so excited that somebody took the initiative, right? Somebody took the initiative, saw a need, heard about a need, and said, I can meet that need. And that is the church, young men and women, older people like myself. That is the church stepping up. Because he's always looking for opportunities for us to bring you to places of service. Because when you get to a place of service, God meets you there. God teaches you there. God releases more and more of his goodness through you. So, so now we have Jesus saying, Simon, can I borrow your boat? Can we push out a little bit from the shore so these people can see me and they can hear me? And then he says, I love this. I love this story. I love this story. He says to Simon, he says, Simon, I want you to do this for me. I want you to, I want you to throw out your nets for a catch. Now, they had been fishing, what, all night. And you go fishing at that time with whether it was a, a hook and line or it was a drag net which would be pulled between two boats or it was just the net that you had. You would have been fishing when? At night, right? And so now they're back and they're cleaning their nets and so forth. And Jesus says to him, he says, why don't you put your net out? Let's see what happens. And here, here, here's the first thing. This is not a major point today, but I believe it's from the Holy Spirit. Peter's response was, Lord, we have been fishing all night. But at your word, I will let down the nets. In other words, it doesn't make sense to me, but it's the word of God. All right. Now, can I just tell you that if it's not happened to you yet, it will. There will come a point in time in your life where there will be a tension 
between the word of the Lord that you clearly understand is from him and the tension between logic. It doesn't make what? Sense. Tradition. Well, we've never done it that way. That's one of the most dangerous phrases, right, in, in the whole church. Well, we've never done it that way. Well, let's try it and see what happens, right? We've never done it that way. Or logic, tradition, how about this, experience. You're not talking to a run-of-the-mill fisherman here, gang. You're talking to somebody who was really good at his craft. Has, has it ever brought to your mind the fact that four, at least four of the disciples, the 12 disciples, the apostles, were fishermen? Ever, ever thought about that? They weren't tax gatherers. They weren't zealots. They weren't some of the other descriptive phrases that we have in our, in our Bible. They were fishermen. But I'm going to suggest to you there comes a point in time, dear friends, where there is a conflict between what makes sense to you and what God has said to you. And what are you going to go with? What are you going to go with? Right? And if you think that's just an isolated story, real quickly, Acts chapter 9. Ananias, I want you to go down a straight street, and I want you to lay hands on this man named Saul, and he's going to recover his sight. And Ananias said, Lord, have you heard about this guy? <laughs> this is the same guy that's going around persecuting the church. Have you heard about this guy? What did he do? He went. Or Acts 10. In the vision that Peter has, and that sheet comes down from heaven, right? And here's what Peter hears. is He's upstairs, and he's praying at one of the appointed times in the day. And the sheet comes down with all these animals and, and so forth on it. And here's the voice. Arise and eat. And the first thing out of Peter's mouth is, no, Lord. I have never done that, right? Well, what he forgot was in Mark chapter 7, Jesus says, it's not what you put in your mouth that defiles you. It's what comes out that defiles you. Thus he had declared all foods clean. So let me give you a blessing today. When you go out to lunch today after service, you eat whatever you want to eat. Right? I got to tell them, I had so many sermon illustrations from breakfast yesterday, though. I felt so badly for Leonard, who loves fishing, right? I almost asked you to bring a pole in today. But you did something, brother, and you brought your bride. Hallelujah. Here's a man that loves to fish, would, you, would put poles in his car so that he could always, if he's by water, he could always go out and, you know, do a little fishing, right? The man is allergic to fish. <laughs> Specifically, but not limited to shellfish. I'm telling you right now, if Jesus ever says to me, you can no longer eat shrimp and crab and scallops, I might say, well, call me upstairs now, Jesus, because, <laughs> right? A couple of years ago when I had my physical, my doctor, he looked at my cholesterol count and it was a little high. And he said, all right, so tell me about your diet, so, which didn't take long to tell him about my diet. I mean, look at this body. You can tell it's a limited diet. So anyway, 
So I, I, I listen to some of the things I like, and he says, didn't you just say shrimp? I said, I did. And he, he looks at me, and he was a very serious man, very serious man, loved him. He's no longer practicing. He's sold his practice and kind of living the refired life like I am. And he, and he looks at me and says, Mike, three ounces. I said, three ounces? That's not even one shrimp. <laughs> what are you doing to me here, right? So as you know, the story continues. They let down the net, right? And either Jesus knew where the fish was, omniscience, or he directed the school of fish to where they were, omnipotence. The net begins to break. And Simon and his brother signal for two other fishermen that you will know of when you read the story. And they come over and they work together. And at that point, the end of the story, in each of the gospel narratives, at the end of the story, Jesus says, follow me, and I will make you, as it's translated today, what? Fishers of men. All right? Before we get going with the slides, can I tell you that fishers of men would have been a term that Jesus would have heard his entire life because it was something that predated his birth by many, many hundreds of years, early philosophers would use that term to try and persuade people to a line of thinking. And it would be the idea of, of taking them alive. So as cool as Pastor Gary's shirt is, fishers of men. Now we're going to talk about what it means to take men alive. All right, let's go ahead and talk about that this morning, all right? What makes for a good fisherman? Right, what makes for a good fisherman? What, it, what do they, what are they possessed by way of characteristics or attributes, right? All right, so here's the first. The first one is this, patience and perseverance. You need to have patience in getting to the place where the fish are biting and you have to renounce discouragement when the fish don't bite. Amen? I mean, you throw your line out, right? How many, how many years have you fished and there was an immediate, some fish connected with the bait and you just began to reel that fish up? Probably a lot less often. A lot less often than when you wait, right? Patience and perseverance, when you are sharing your testimony, when you're giving out the gospel to people in whatever context, you need to be patient. And especially with those with whom you work or those whom you live beside, those that go to school with you, you can't just throw out the bait once, they don't respond to it, and you say, well, I guess they're rejected. I guess they're not marked out for salvation. Patience and perseverance. Second, going to the right holes and using the right bait. I hear for those of you that, how many of you are fisher people? Notice how gender conscious I am. Fisher people, right? All right. How many of you have ever been fishing with others and asked the question of them, where are the fish biting? So let me ask you a question. 
I'm still getting to know my way around Santa Maria. Pretty well got Orchid done. <laughs> of course, Orchid is like the size of a postage stamp. So, you know, it's not that hard to know where everything is now, right? So I'm, I'm beginning to get more knowledgeable about Santa Maria. But let me ask you a question. Where are the gathering spots in Santa Maria? Where do people go? Do they go to the mall? Do they go to the park? Do they gather at a high school? Wherever the people are at is the place you and I should go. All right? Because I got to tell you, folks, and I love you, and I'm just charged with being truthful. The day is long past for us to open the doors to our church and expect people to flood in. We need to go out to them. And we need to use the right bait, too. All right, again, let's talk about the principle here. The principle is how are we preparing to be those who take people alive? You need to be able to be so filled with the Spirit and so discerning of the people that you're talking to that you understand what their felt need is. For example, with somebody who's dealing with anxiety, would it not be helpful to talk about Jesus as the Prince of Peace? For those who are struggling with depression... Would it not be helpful to point to the hope that is in Jesus? With those who are struggling with being lonely, I'm thinking about you, sir, and, and I, I did not know that your, your wife had passed away relatively recently, and that when you came back here, you found a new home here, right? The Bible says in the book of Psalms that God sets the lonely in families. So when you're talking to somebody who's lonely and depressed, and anxious, and by the way, those are the big three post-pandemic. Post-pandemic, those are the big three emotional, mental health statements people are asking. What do I do with my anxiety? What do I do with my depression? I'm lonely. It's a felt need. So listen for the felt need. Number three, courage. You need courage to be a good fisherman because especially when you look at this story, the Sea of Galilee, sometimes called the Sea of Tiberias or the Sea of Gennesaret, was not an easy place to fish. You could get out into the middle of the lake and all of a sudden storms would arise and they would rock your world. All right? It takes courage, amen, to share your faith sometimes and to share the plan of salvation with people. Can I get a witness? Let me tell you a story. He was a very famous evangelist many, many hundreds of years ago. And he was told, a couple hundred years ago, he was told before he got up to preach, he was told that the president of the United States was in the audience, so you ought to be careful about what he said. So he gets up to the pulpit, and these are the first words out of his mouth. I have been told that the president of the United States is here tonight, and he is going to hell unless he repents and turns to Jesus Christ. <laughs> Would have, would have gotten my attention, <laughs> right? It takes courage to tell people the truth, amen? Matthew 23, Jesus, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath that is to come to the Pharisees? Acts chapter 7, Stephen, to the same group of people, you stiff-necked and stubborn, 
You need to repent. I should, I, I'm sure that did not get him a lot of invitations for dinner. But if you look at Mark chapter 1, it's followed by when Jesus calls Levi, we know him as Matthew, who was a tax gatherer. The next thing we read about Matthew is Matthew opens up his home and invites all his buddies to come listen to Jesus. But it takes courage. Amen? Four, keeping out of sight. What do I mean by that? The fisherman does not want to draw attention to himself as he's fishing because the fish might be spooked. Would that be fair? We ought to keep our personalities so contained that we don't become the larger in life character as we're sharing the gospel because you know what? It's not about us. It's always about Jesus. Let me tell you another story. This one includes me. So years ago, and if you follow anything about football games that, that are played at the Rose Bowl in Pasadena, there's very limited parking around the stadium. So what you do is you park off the stadium route, and then you get into buses, and they take you in and drop you off and so forth. So my buddy and I had gone to a football game, and we're standing waiting for the bus to to take us back to our car. And there was a young guy, considerably younger than Skip and I were at that time, and he had a bullhorn, and he was preaching to people. Turn or burn. Repent or perish. Get right or get left. Right? The language, the language of that day, right? And it, honest to God, true story, my buddy Skip leans over to me and whispers in my ear, you're going to go talk to him, aren't you? <laughs> I said, yes. So I went over and I said to this young man, I said, young man, I very much appreciate your zeal. I very much appreciate that, that you are sharing with people about Jesus. But might I, as a pastor and as a fellow believer in Jesus, might I just suggest to you that you put the bullhorn down and just talk to people. And I'm telling you, if looks could kill, I would have been six feet under. <laughs> Teamwork. In missions, there are those of you who stay and pray and those of you who go. But it's about teamwork, amen? You see it in the story where the nets begin to do what? Break. And so what does... What does Peter do? I need some help here. And they come alongside. Teamwork would be this. Suppose Pastor Kelly decides that she wants to teach a class on how to share your faith. Well, in that class of how to share your faith, she gives you two or three different ways to share the gospel. That's teamwork. She's sharing with you how to share the gospel, and now you've got something simple that you can take and minister to somebody else. Amen? Amen? Let me give you one. ABC. Admit you're a sinner. Believe that Christ died for you. Confess him with your mouth and believe in your heart that Christ was raised from the dead and you shall be saved. Amen. You don't need a lot of little letters after your name to get that one down. Amen? And then finally, faith. You've got to believe that what we're doing in sharing our faith, amen, is because God has called us to do so.
Can I, can I just remind you that the Gospel of Matthew closes with these words? Go therefore into all the nations of the world preaching the gospel and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you and I am with you always even to the end of the age. But your, your mission field is the people who live next door to you. In part. Your mission field are the classmates that you sit in a classroom with. Your mission field is your teammate with whom you play ball. Your mission field is the people in the cubicle next to you at the office. It's not just what we can do and we should to send people out to do the work of evangelism and stay behind and pray and faithfully support them economically. But you have a story to tell if you know Jesus. Here's my thought. You know why most of us are not sharing our story? Because we don't think it's dramatic enough. Well, I didn't get knocked off a horse and was blind for three days. <laughs> no, but you got knocked into your senses. <laughs> Can I get a witness? <laughs> oh, I wasn't, a, I wasn't a drug addict. I wasn't a prostitute. I wasn't somebody who embezzled money. I wasn't, I wasn't, I wasn't. I will tell you what you were. You were a sinner who needed to be redeemed by the grace of God, and he visited you. And you've got, you've got a story. So tell your story for crying out loud. You may, your story may not be lived. Your story may not be heard. Your story may be forgotten. But it's your story. And we all need to be sharing it. But here's the deal. One of the things that I love about the Bible and one of the things I love about God is that God must be into diversity. Amen? God must love different things. For example, not all of us have the same temperaments. Amen? Some of us are a little bit more driven than others. I personally would never have seen that in myself. <laughs> Some of us have different temperaments. All of us have probably different natural talents and abilities. All right, I can't draw a straight line with a ruler. Right? If anything breaks in our house, Cindy's the one fixing it. And if she doesn't fix it, she lays hands and prays over it. <laughs> we have natural talents and abilities given to us at conception. All of us today who are, are believers have spiritual gifts. Amen? And not all of our gifts are the same. We have different learning styles. I am a visual learner. You probably know that. My favorite indoor sport is reading. My favorite or outdoor sport is reading. <laughs> My favorite thing to do on an airplane is not to take a nap. It's to read. I learn by what I read. But some of you learn by what you hear. Amen? Some of you learn by doing. There is a, there's a book that was written several years ago, absolutely one of my favorite books. It's called Sacred Pathways, and it deals with the different ways in which people connect with God most intimately. Some of us are celebrants. And by the way, I've been coming here since I moved, and I've had the privilege, Tim and Kelly have extended the privilege to me to share from this pulpit 
multiple times. And I'm telling you, and, and I'm applauding you. Today's worship was the single best worship experience I have had here. You know why? Because you guys were entering into it. Right? It was, it was cool. In fact, I had to sit down because it was so cool. Right? So I'm an intellectual. I love ideas. I love discussing concepts. I'm married to a naturalist who loves being out of doors and works and connects with God when she's out walking in the, in the, the fields behind our house or the trails that we have in our neighborhood. All right, here's what I'm getting to. Does it make sense to you then if God is so diverse in what he pours into our life in terms of temperaments, gifts, natural talents and abilities, the way we connect with, with Jesus most intimately, learning styles, does it make sense to you that there's not one size fits all to how you share the gospel? Does that make sense? You with me? All right, I don't want you sitting there in the pew saying, here comes the heresy. <laughs> no, all right? So, I'm going to give you six. All right, ready? Here's the first way in which we learn to share our faith. Sometimes it's confrontational. It really is. Sometimes it's in Acts chapter 2, Peter preaching on the day of Pentecost. Have you ever thought about this? If you've got your Bible sometime this week, I know we're in Mark 5, 6, 7, 8, and 9 this week, but that leaves you some other time to read. Read Acts chapter 2 and begin in verse 14 and read through verse 36. Time yourself as you read it. It's going to take you about three minutes. Now, was there more to that sermon that's recorded? Perhaps, right? But I'm suggesting to you it takes three minutes to read Peter's sermon on the day of Pentecost. Here's the response. What shall we do? And Peter says, repent and believe the gospel and you shall be saved. Very confrontational, very direct, very challenging. Stephen, I've already mentioned him, chapter 7, confronted the Pharisees, which led to his death. But he told them the truth, and he told it to them in a way that was to their face. Second one is intellectual. Acts chapter 17, Paul's walking around Athens one day and he's, he sees this altar and this altar has an inscription on it which says this, to an unknown God. And Paul, brilliant man that he was, Paul takes that to an unknown God and begins to declare, to define and describe the gospel. When you read the book of Romans, you will never exhaust, amen, you will never exhaust the truth of the book of Romans. It is a brilliant piece of writing. It's an intellectual approach, to be sure. It's certainly not the only, but it's one that I feel comfortable with. Use reason with people. But while you're reasoning with them, you ought to be praying in the spirit too. Amen? Yeah. I, can, I can pray with my mind and I can pray in the spirit. I can talk to Pastor Gary like I'm looking at him now and have a conversation with him. But, but inside I might be praying, oh, Jesus, open his heart. Help him to hear what the spirit is saying to him. 
So you have number one, confrontational, number two, intellectual. Here's number three, testimonial. Remember, you have a story, amen? amen. You have a story. John chapter 9. If I start off John chapter 9, you're going you're gonna to be able to fill in the, the next line, right? When asked how it was that he regained his sight, the blind man said, I once was blind, but now I see. Is that not a testimony? I once was blind, but now I see. Simply telling his story about what had happened in his life when Jesus came to visit. I love that. You don't have to, again, your, your story doesn't have to be dramatic. It, it doesn't have to be a cliffhanger. It doesn't have to be something that's going to make the 9 o'clock news. Somebody asked me the other day, you'll love this. So somebody asked me the other day if I'd ever been on the news. And I, you know how you have that tension <laughs> between how honest should you be and could I just kind of fudge a little bit here? First church I served in after getting out of, out of undergraduate school was a four-square church down in Long Beach, El Dorado Four-Square Church with the dear couple, Henry and Dorothy Davis. And we also had a, a, an orphanage in Quito, Ecuador, and we were really involved in that church. And for many, many years, I sat on that board, and it was, it was a great experience. And, and Henry and Dorothy have both gone home to be with the Lord. But we were given things for the orphanage that we really... Have you ever been given a gift and you just want to say, I don't need it? But you take it anyway, right? Because somebody meant well with it, right? So somebody decided to donate gallons and gallons of delicing agent. And Henry, in his gracious, took it. And then realized, we realized one day that it was... It was past the expiration date, amen? You, you, do you have an idea about where this is <laughs> Kelly, Kelly's like, oh God, I need to pray for Mike. Well, so we, Henry has the bright idea. Let's put it in the church bus and we'll drive around Cyprus and we'll drop a couple of cans off in each of the trash canisters. Well, <laughs> okay, you know, I'm like 22 years old and I trust the pastor, right? Okay, let's do this, right? And remember, now we're in this big bus that says El Dorado Four Square Church. <laughs> and we're getting out and we're dropping these, these canisters in the trash canisters. And somebody calls the police <laughs> who surround our bus with six police cars. And board our bus with weapons drawn. And Henry leans over to me and says, oh, this is nothing. I've been shot at by tanks. <laughs> and I, I wanted to go to single session therapy right then. Just slap him, you know. Just. And of course, CBS got called out, you know, and 11 o'clock news, you know. You don't have to be dramatic. Just tell your story. <laughs> Number four is interpersonal. 
We've already touched on that one. It's just basically what we call friendship evangelism. Over the last several years, the Gallup poll shows that the number one reason people will go to church is because somebody asked them. Somebody asked them. In Mark's gospel, Luke chapter 5, I told you about Levi, Matthew. He opens up his house and he invites his friends and neighbors in to hear about Jesus from Jesus. I challenge you to invite somebody to church. Guess what? They might come. And they can sit by you. And you can pick up their check at lunch. Thereby showing yourself to be a friend. Fifth one is invitational. John chapter 4, one of the greatest stories in all of the Bible. And by the way, someday we should probably... Pastor Tim, you and I should probably, and maybe Pastor Gary, we should do some writing on that. The contrast between chapter 3 and chapter 4 is amazing in the Gospel of John. John chapter 3, Nicodemus comes to him by what? Night. Nicodemus is educated. Nicodemus is the most respected person in his area. And Jesus takes time to deal with him, speak with him, and so forth. In John chapter 4, Jesus has a conversation with a woman at the well in the heat of the day because no one wanted to go out with her in the morning to draw water from the well because she was a loose woman. She'd been married five times, and the man she was with was not her husband. Do you remember this story? And Jesus, when he sees this woman at the well, goes up to her. Would you please give me a drink? Would you please give me a drink? Women did not talk to men in that culture. Jews did not talk to Samaritans in that culture. If you were a Jew and came in from outside of Israel, outside from Gentile land, outside from the Samaritan villages, you would take off your sandals and you would beat the dust off your sandals because you didn't want to contaminate your country with the dust of the Gentiles or the dirt and the grime of the Samaritans. And here Jesus is having this conversation. What, how's that story in? She goes back in the village and she says to her and this could have taken, must have taken, had to have taken courage for the same woman who nobody wants to be seen with to go house to house throughout the village saying, come, I want to show you a man who told me everything about my life. Could this be the Messiah? And they go out and start listening to Jesus. They ask Jesus to stay a few more days. And the word of God is very clear to say they didn't believe on account of what this, what this woman said alone. They believed because they had a chance to listen to Jesus. And all because she invited them. All because she invited them. And the last one is service. In Acts chapter 9, we're introduced not just to Saul and the dramatic change in his life that he encountered and Ananias being faithful to God lay hands on him so he could recover his sight 
and the beginning of Paul's ministry. But we're also introduced to a woman in verse 36 called Dorcas or Tabitha. And she dies. And she was loved in her town because she was one who spent time making things for people to clothe themselves with or to wrap around them in the cold winter nights. And so there was a delegation of people that heard that someone was in town who had, a, had the ministry of the Holy Spirit, and they said, please come lay hands on her that she might live. How do you gain a reputation like that? How do you gain a legacy like that? By serving other people faithfully, sometimes anonymously, and always sincerely. You just do what you see needs to be done. My neighbor next door to my right, he and, he and his wife just had their second little baby. And uh, he's totally redoing his front yard, totally redoing it. And he's by trade an engineer, right? But we were out talking one day. I'm out weeding, and, and he's out working on his yard. And the next time I come out of my front door, there was this weed that had grown up on my side of the driveway, and it was it was it was an it was an impressive weed, amen. <laughs> it, it was a good looking weed, right? But Paul said to me, Mike, you are aware of the fact that that's a weed, right? I said, No, I, I really wasn't. Next time I came out of the house, that weed was gone. I didn't mow my yard for 15 years that I lived in Orange County, in Ladera, because my neighbor next door to me, whenever he'd start, and we had posted size stamped front yards, amen? Not like my backyard, which is the size of Tanzania. But anyway, he would get out his lawnmower, and he would just start with his yard, and he'd just keep on going. I did not mow my yard. Seriously for almost the entire length of the time I lived in that neighborhood. Service. You see a need and you what? You meet it. It's kind of like this meal train we're setting up for, for Anthony. The man's coming home from having heart surgery. Let's help. Takes nothing but my time and a few dollars, amen? Amen. But man, I tell you what, it's making a, a testimony to him. All right, let's, let's close. I don't know if we have a slide for this one or not, but taking men alive. Think of an acronym, all right? Think of F-I-S-H, fish, okay? Here you go, F, find the right style of sharing the gospel for you. Some of you, it's going to be confrontational. Some of it's going to be more invitational. Some of you, it's going to be because you do things for people by way of service and so forth. But you need to find the one that fits for you because you remember when Saul saw David getting ready to go out and do battle with Goliath, what did Saul do? I'll help, I'll help the young man out. He takes off his armor and gives it to David. And David puts it on. It didn't fit. Remember that story? Not every style of evangelism fits for you. But there's got to be one or two that do. Number two, the I stands for invest in good bait.
when you when you target and I don't mean that in a in a hurtful way whatsoever when you target somebody that you want to share the gospel with you begin asking yourself this question what's going to arrest their attention what's the need that they they have what's the struggle they're walking through what the point what's the point of engagement that I can enter into and by the way when you do find someone like that then you begin to pray the Lord would soften their hearts. And as you share your story and as you share the gospel, you're praying at that same time, Lord, open their heart. So find the style that's right for you. Invest in good bait. Number three, S, show genuine interest in people. I don't know who said it. It's been attributed to so many people. You've all probably heard this one. People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Have you ever noticed how Jesus was brilliant with individuals? Brilliant. Who talks to the leper? Jesus. Who talks to the prostitute? Jesus. Who talks to the publican, the tax gatherer? Jesus. Who is on his way to, to, to pray for a man whose daughter had died and he had come and asked Jesus to come lay hands on her so that she might live? And Jesus is while on his way to, to meeting that, that family in the point of their deepest need. There was that woman who came out from the crowd who had been bleeding for 12 years. And she'd spent all her money, and she had not gotten any better, and she, had, in fact, had grown worse. And she falls down at the feet of Jesus, and she says, if I can just touch the hem of his garment, I will be made clean. It took incredible courage for her to come out in public. She would not have been welcome in your home. She would have been unclean. She would not have been welcome in this house of worship because she was unclean. And Jesus with a great crowd of people around him. Who touched me? Who touched me? And, the, and his disciples said, look at the crowd, Jesus. I mean, everybody wants a little piece of you. <laughs> and the woman says, this is my story. And don't let this get lost in the, in the story. Jesus, when he speaks to her and brings healing into her life, he says to her, daughter, go in peace. Daughter. The same one who would have been estranged from her village. Jesus is good with individuals, amen? We ought to be too, but here's the deal. Jesus just cared about people. When I was first, in fact, I think we, last time we were together for lunch, I think I might have told pastor this. The first set of commentaries I bought when I was uh, an associate pastor and then became a lead pastor was written by a guy named Harry Ironside. He was the pastor of Moody Bible Church for a lot of years. And they're dated now, but they were, they were an excellent addition to my library then. And in one of those commentaries, he once wrote this. If you are too big to serve the individual, you are too small to serve the masses. That's pretty powerful, amen? And the H stands for the Holy Spirit. 
his promise and empowerment. Amen. He said in Acts chapter 1, but you shall receive what? Power. <laughs> when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be my witnesses. In Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, even to the outermost parts of the earth. It doesn't say you shall receive knowledge. He didn't say you shall receive grace. All those, those things are important. He says you shall receive power. Pastor, I, I didn't clear this with you before, but I'm, I'm going to, because I trust you and know you will, and if you do, I'll, I'll buy lunch the next time. <laughs> I really want Pastor Tim to come up and pray over you as a congregation, but you as individuals, that you would, you would have a fresh anointing of the Holy Spirit to be witnesses of the truth. And that you would share your story and that you would, you would be bold. Boldness, dear ones, is not about a clenched fist. Boldness is not parading around with a, with a black King James Bible. And if you've got a black King James Bible, please don't be offended. Right? It's not parading around and thumping it. Boldness is the conviction in your heart that Jesus died for me. He saved me, yeah. and I want to be used by, by Jesus to hold out the gospel so that he can save others. Amen. So good. So practical. So helpful. Thank you. Thank you, Pastor Mike. One of the things that I love about being a church not just our church, but like being part of the church has to do with what Pastor Mike talked about in teamwork. That it's not just up to one individual to go and try to save everybody in Santa Maria, right? It's, and it's certainly not up to the pastor. Well, that's, that's his responsibility. I mean, once in a while, I even actually give some money hoping that he'll go out and like get people saved. It's not about that. It's about us doing this together. There's a great need. There's a great task at hand. But as we serve the world around us together in each of the diverse ways that he made us, in each of the diverse places that he put us, we don't all live in just the same neighborhood. We don't all work at the same place, right? We don't all shop at the same grocery store. Like we have our, our places of influence. Let's use those wisely. And as Pastor Gary just reminded us, when we go and we do these things, we're doing this not in our own strength and our own power, but in the power of the Holy Spirit. Because the promise that we will be equipped to be his witnesses. That is ours today. And that empowerment of his spirit that he will gift you, even in the right moments with the right words to speak. You may be freaked out, but God is with you. So God, I'm just gonna open my mouth. I'm just gonna say what you give me to say in this moment. God, we wanna step into this.
Lord, we have just been taught. We've received strong instruction. Lord, and and that there's not just one way, and there's just not one approach, but God, we want to step in, Lord, to owning the fact that each one of us has a part to play in this, that you have made us, you have crafted us, Lord, not only to be ones who would receive of your love and your grace, but to extend that love and that grace to others. This is not just about us. Lord, it is about our families, our extended families. Lord, our neighbors, those we work with, and Lord, even our global neighbors, Lord, those around the world who just need, Lord, to hear of your love, your grace, your promise to save. So Lord, we just we want to embrace this. We want to sit in this for a moment and say, God, would you speak to us? Lord, would you begin to, to help me understand how you wired me, Lord, that I could be someone who would share Lord, your story, even as I would share my own and what you've done in my life. Lord, begin to show us specific individuals, Lord, around us, particular neighbors, particular family members, others in the community. Lord, that you would put in our hearts And we would begin to pray and say, Jesus, I lift up. And we just start filling in the blank. Lord, I just lift up this person. I lift them up before you. God, would you begin to work in their story that they would have an openness toward you? Because, Lord, we know that you are drawing them to yourself. And if you use me in your plan, God, that would just mean so much. Use me, Lord. Use me. Use me, Lord. Use me. In fact, can we just finish today by just putting those words on our lips? Lord, we don't know what it's going to exactly look like yet, but God, would you use me in your plan? Would you just put that on your lips? God, use me in your plan. Go ahead. Just lift it up. Just lift it up. Just loud enough for yourself to hear. God, just use me. Use me in your plan. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. So, man, today we're going out of here, I think, a little bit more fired up to be used by the Lord because God's got a great plan, and he's not afraid to use us. He's not ashamed to use us and call us his own. Praise the Lord for that. Hey, friends. If you need ministry before you go, if there's something going on in your story and you would like to just say, hey, would you would you pray for me? We've got a great team of people who are right, gonna be right up here in the front to pray for you before you go. What an honor to do life together. We got some birthday people to greet before you go. Make sure these people get some birthday love. Um, you are loved. Go in peace. Have a great week.